Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, March 8th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. After its partisan passage in the Senate, a history-making economic rescue plan inching its way towards approval. A look at what the bill could do to combat not just the coronavirus, but also poverty across the country. After a record-breaking weekend of vaccinations, concerns still persist about the spread of coronavirus variants as federal officials weigh in on when we might see herd immunity right here in the U.S. And a growing sexual harassment controversy threatening to engulf Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York, the latest on calls for him to step down along with his response. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. The Biden administration's COVID-19 relief plan is one step closer to becoming a reality. The $1.9 trillion package passing the Senate along party lines on Saturday, but the measure still has to clear one more hurdle before it reaches the White House. Edwin Piti has the very latest details from Washington, D.C. Edwin. That's right, Andrea. Now that the Senate has passed a COVID relief bill that includes a third round of checks, many are wondering what happens next. I can tell you that the massive legislation is one step closer to becoming law, but because of the amendments agreed to over the weekend in the Senate, it needs another vote in the House, which is expected to happen tomorrow, Tuesday. Biden will be signing the bill right after the House approves it. And within days, millions of Americans can expect their $1,400 check. Those whose bank information is on file with the IRS will likely get the money first because it would go directly deposited into their accounts. Others may receive paper checks or prepaid debit cards in the mail. Now, an estimated 8 million Americans didn't get the first round of payments because the IRS couldn't reach them, so officials still need to clear that out. This time, individuals earning less than $75,000 a year and couples earning less than $150,000 annually would receive the full $1,400 payment plus an additional $1,400 per dependent. As far as unemployment benefits, the House and the Senate are not coming together. The Senate approved to keep the weekly $300 until September, and the House had passed a provision to increase the benefit to $400 a week, but the Senate did not agree to it. But one thing both chambers agreed to is an increase in the child tax credit to $3,600 for each child younger than six years old and $3,000 per child between seven and 17 only in 2021. Live in Washington, D.C., Andrea, back to you. Thank you, Edwin, for all those details. And President Biden signed an executive order yesterday to expand voting access. The order directs the heads of all federal agencies to submit proposals for their respective agencies to promote voter registration and participation within 200 days. The move comes days after the House passed a sweeping ethics and election package that aimed at ensuring voting rights. It also had provisions expanding early and mail-in voting, restoring voting rights to former felons, and easing voter registration for eligible Americans. Biden signed the order Sunday to mark the anniversary of Bloody Sunday when Alabama state troopers attacked peaceful civil rights protesters back in 1965. And President Biden is also expected to sign two executive orders today 
aimed at improving gender equity. The first will establish the White House Gender Policy Council. The new group will be tasked with combating systemic bias, including sexual harassment. It will also work to decrease wage gaps and address the caregiving needs of families. The Biden administration says the pandemic has impacted women disproportionately as they have exited the workforce to care for their families, many of them women of color. A second executive order will direct the Department of Education to ensure students are safe from sexual violence. Meanwhile, in New York, problems are deepening for Governor Andrew Cuomo. More women coming forward alleging inappropriate behavior. There are growing calls for the governor to resign. However, he remains defiant. Embattled New York Governor Andrew Cuomo on the defense, facing more allegations of inappropriate behavior, including harassment. Top Democrats expressing concern. The allegations of, these, of each of the women has to be taken seriously. They're deeply troubling. Women have to be listened to. I've long believed, said this for a very long time, that sexual harassment is never acceptable, can never be tolerated. Over the weekend, two more women coming forward, bringing the total number of accusers to five. Karen Hinton, who worked with Cuomo in the 90s when he was Bill Clinton's housing secretary, now telling the Washington Post Cuomo invited her to his hotel room after a work event in 2000, allegedly embracing her intimately. She is not accusing Cuomo of harassment, but instead power dynamics. Cuomo denying this claim. Miss Hinton. Uh, every woman has a right to come forward. That's true. Uh, but the truth also matters. What she said is not true. Another new allegation is from Anna Liz, who says the governor questioned her about her intimate life and kissed her on the hand. Liz has reportedly said that at first she thought it was harmless flirtation, but later found it inappropriate. However, the governor insists he will not resign. Cuomo says that resigning because of allegations is actually anti-democratic. Instead, he will wait for an investigation overseen by State Attorney General Letitia James to play out. I believe that she will turn over every stone, and I believe that she will make sure there is no outside interference, political or otherwise. Additionally, many former aides and advisors describe a toxic culture, including two male aides who claim he routinely berated them with explicit language. I think that there are a lot of grounds for his, uh, for his impeachment. There's also a lot of grounds for his resignation. The question is whether or not he has the ability to be able to govern. The feds are also investigating why Cuomo's team underreported COVID deaths in nursing homes. Despite several prominent New York lawmakers calling on Cuomo to step down, most of his allies have stopped short of saying he should resign. And in other political news, attorneys for former President Donald Trump have sent out cease and desist letters to the three largest Republican fundraising organizations. The former president apparently does not want his name and likeness used to raise money without his permission. Friday's action targets the Republican National Committee as well as the top GOP fundraising organizations for Congress and the U.S. Senate. The former president is reportedly concerned the fundraising could benefit the Republicans who voted to impeach him. More than 90 million shots already administered as vaccination efforts in the U.S. continue to improve. States relying on vaccines to open their economies, but experts 
worried it still won't be enough to avoid another surge soon. Lorraine Cáceres has the very latest. The U.S. moving forward with vaccination efforts. The CDC reporting more than 90 million doses have been administered so far, almost 3 million of those given on Friday alone. Officials around the country feeling optimistic about the next few months. Our goal is 5 million New Yorkers fully vaccinated by June. We can do that quicker. We'd like to do that even quicker. But that will be the beginning of this incredible New York City comeback story. Governors relying on vaccination efforts to further reopen their economies. Because our numbers are low and our vaccinations are high, we feel like we can do this responsibly. With the vaccine, we're now on the offense. That's the great thing. But in Ohio, we can't give up the defense. But some experts worry current vaccination efforts, although vastly improved, will do little to stop the likely surge set to happen in 6 to 14 weeks. Variants continuing to spread. The UK variants the most worrisome right now. It is doubling um, in uh, every 10 days. It's spreading exponentially. Although new daily cases, deaths and hospitalizations have gone down, Dr. Anthony Fauci says average daily cases still seem to be at a very high plateau, ranging between 58 and 67,000 in the last three weeks. Meanwhile, Americans around the country growing relentless. In Atlanta, the NBA All-Star Game attracting thousands of visitors. In Idaho, protesters burning masks at the state capitol. Organizers claiming masks mandates infringe on their rights, something the governor, Brad Little, has strongly recommended but has not required with an executive order. And the CDC is now releasing guidelines for people that are fully vaccinated, meaning people that have received the single dose of Johnson & Johnson two weeks after they uh, create their antibodies and people who have received their second dose of Pfizer and Moderna. They're saying that people that are fully vaccinated can gather with each other in closed spaces without social distancing and without masks. They can also visit people that are not vaccinated but that are low risk and that if you are fully vaccinated, you can also skip quarantines and testing if you are exposed to the virus but present no symptoms. Andrea, back to you. Thank you, Lorraine, for bringing us all those developments. Very interesting. Now let's go to Dr. Hillary Fairbrother. She's an emergency room physician in Houston, Texas. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome. Thank you. So as we just heard Lorraine discuss this, the CDC just released guidelines for fully vaccinated people saying they can now gather indoors without masks or any social distancing. What's your reaction to this long awaited guidance? And I want to understand, is it gathering inside with others that are also fully vaccinated? So what the CDC released were some guidelines on how people who are immunized can safely get together. And what they said is that we need to keep it within one household. So for me, that means that I can bring my mother and father-in-law, who are both fully vaccinated, in to see my husband and I, who are both fully vaccinated, and we have a child who is not vaccinated but is low risk for any kind of uh, serious illness if he were to get coronavirus. And the five of us could have a nice family dinner. We don't need to mask. We can be inside and we can see each other. The minute I want to bring over the next door neighbors who are not in my household unit, then I need to move this outside. I need to practice social distancing and we need to mask up when we are close to each other. This is to prevent further 
uh, spread of coronavirus because, again, like I told you, I've got a child in my household who, of course, is not vaccinated. And we really want to do our best to keep case numbers down while we're getting everyone immunized around the country. And so this is a way where families can once again safely get together and yet not contribute to overall caseload increasing. Thank you so much for really clarifying this. Now a record 2.9 million people were vaccinated yesterday and some states like New Mexico, Montana, North Dakota have given at least one dose to about 24% of their population. How do you think the vaccine rollout is coming along in general? I'm, I'm really impressed with the vaccine rollout in general. It's been really encouraging to see how many people we can vaccinate and how quickly we can do it and how effectively we can do it. I actually volunteered at our local hub vaccine center yesterday and we vaccinated thousands of people in Houston yesterday. So it's very encouraging. Um, I know every state is doing things a little bit differently and that can be very confusing for people, but I do wanna encourage everyone to get onto the lists and the registries to sign up to make sure if you have a private um, physician that they have signed you up for any registries that are available to them and that you can go on your public health um, website for your county and for your state and make sure that you are signed up for any registries to get to a vaccine as soon as possible. Now let's talk about the vaccine rollout in Texas. Roughly 15% of Texans have now received two doses. So which group is now next in line? So we are seeing things different across the state of Texas. And you know, the state of Texas is a really diverse place. We have very urban areas that have very different needs than some of our more rural areas. And the governor has given us the freedom to operate on a county by county basis. We get to make the rules that we feel make the most sense and get the vaccines out to as many people as possible. And while we are not winning with percentage wise, I know only about 15% of Texans are currently fully vaccinated, we actually have dispersed over 75% of the vaccines that we have received. So we're not doing a bad job getting the vaccines that we have into the arms of our patients. And so one of the things that we're doing here in Houston is that we are still on our class one rollout, which means frontline workers and and we are also vaccinating teachers, uh, policemen, anyone who is really put in the line of fire by their job. And then residents of long-term um, nursing homes or, or other assisted living centers where they're in contact with a large number of people and they're also elderly or ill. And then we are also have a group of people who have high risk for having serious consequences if they were to get coronavirus. So that includes people with diabetes, people who are obese, people with cancer, people with cardiovascular disease like congestive heart failure, um, and people who are immunosuppressed for other reasons. And there are some other groups in there, people with COPD and active smokers. Um, but there are a good number of patients that are still in that group that are getting vaccinated here in Houston. And as we get through that population, we're gonna be opening it up to level two. In other nearby counties, the level two is already where they are at because they have looked at their numbers and they've been able to expand to other populations. And really, again, our goal is to get vaccines into the arms of people as quickly and as efficiently as possible so we can get to our herd immunity, which is really between 70 and 90% of our population vaccinated. Now, as we all know, and you mentioned, there are no vaccines for children under the age of 16. When can we expect to see 
vaccines available for children. So currently, Pfizer is kind of winning with the, the studies of trying to see what the effects of this vaccine are in children. And they are looking at children down to the age of 12 currently. Um, so there's a large study that is looking at the safety of the mRNA Pfizer vaccine in children 12 years old and older. Um, that data is looking really great. And I, and I expect that we will have recommendations where we are able to give vaccines to children who are 12 and older relatively soon for our mRNA vaccines. Um, that data has not started yet for the Johnson & Johnson vaccine uh, that we have heard of, and that covers the vaccines that are available in the U.S. as of today. Well, thank you so much for providing us with so much insight, Dr. Hillary Fairbrother, emergency room physician in Houston, Texas. And I'm also happy to hear that you and your closest family members have now been vaccinated. Take care. Thank you. And speaking of coronavirus and children, kids rarely have severe COVID-19 cases, but when they do, a new study in the medical journal JAMA shows they can develop a string of neurological conditions. It looked into about 1,700 kids hospitalized with COVID or a related condition called multi-system inflammatory syndrome. The study found that 22% of those children ended up having neurological problems. A majority of them eventually recovered, but about one in 10 developed life-threatening conditions, including strokes and central nervous system infections. 11 of those patients died after leaving the hospital. Doctors still don't know why some children develop those conditions or how they may be affected in the long run. And some good news to report. Federal data shows the pace of COVID-19 vaccine administration in the United States continues to improve each day, putting us closer and closer to herd immunity. That's the point at which enough people are protected against a disease that it cannot spread. Experts generally agree that somewhere between 70 and 85 percent of the population must be protected to suppress the spread, a range that Dr. Anthony Fauci has recently cited. According to an analysis of federal data, the U.S. could reach herd immunity by the summer at the current pace of about 2 million doses administered per day. 70% of Americans could be fully vaccinated around the end of July and 85% by mid-September. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. All nine U.S. Supreme Court justices have been fully vaccinated, and that's according to the court's public information officer. This is the first time the court has remarked on the COVID-19 vaccine status of its justices. All nine have been hearing oral arguments via teleconference, and most are working from home. With few exceptions, the justices have remained behind closed doors since last March because of the pandemic and information about their health is rarely revealed. Meanwhile, the FDA has given emergency use authorization for an at-home COVID test. 
It's the first molecular product to be greenlit for non-prescription use. The Q Health test is different from the more familiar PCR and antigen tests, but can quickly detect genetic material from the coronavirus in the nostrils. Adults can take their own nose swabs. Children two years of age or older can also be swabbed with help from an adult. The test can be read in about 20 minutes. The FDA says it has been shown to correctly identify 96% of positive coronavirus samples from people with symptoms and 100% of positive samples from those without symptoms. Some good news there. Mexico has dismantled a migrant camp near the U.S. border on Saturday after an easing of U.S. immigration policy saw many able to process their asylum claims in the United States. The sprawling camp in the Mexican city of Matamoros had been one of the most powerful reminders of the human toll of former President Trump's efforts to keep migrants out of the United States. The camp emptied out in recent days after hundreds of asylum seekers living there were finally allowed to cross the border to press their claim to stay in the U.S. And the White House is outlining new protocols for migrants being held in U.S. detention centers. Pablo Gato has more details from Washington. The Biden's administration intention is to limit to 72 hours the time that an undocumented family can be detained in a detention center according to documents filed in court. We welcome this action. This has been something that we have been asking several administrations, says this activist. During these three days in the detention center, the families could plan their court appearance the COVID test and prepare their transfer to a shelter. This week, all undocumented immigrants in a Pennsylvania detention center were released. Some of them were detained for more than a year. On the other hand, ICE made an important announcement. It has to do with the process to appeal a decision by the agency. President Biden had already given guidelines saying that not all undocumented immigrants are an ICE priority. But the ones who crossed the border recently, the ones found guilty of serious crimes, and the ones suspected of being involved in terrorism or espionage. Si se está dando esa protección a nuestras comunidades y luego inmigración, o sea, ICE. If our communities are given this protection and then ICE does whatever it wants and they arrest people who are not a priority, we need a way to prevent that, says this immigration lawyer. That is exactly what ICE did, a new mechanism so that undocumented immigrants can appeal their arrest and deportation orders outside the immigration court system. It's an additional layer of transparency as to how ICE works, said an ICE agent. It refers to an ICE order already with the Biden administration that limits the actions by its agents. They have to consult with a supervisor before arresting or deporting undocumented immigrants who are not a priority. Pablo Gato, Washington, U News. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.